welcome to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. I'm your host, Matt Halloran. Being your own loud is not new to marketing, but the mindset, strategies, and resources to help you get there are evolving faster than this industry is keeping up. It is time to find a new perspective on what works why and how to move your business forward. Listen as I interview guests to help you learn from them how to be your own loud. Let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to another Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Haller. And as all of you know, I am a huge fan of social media. Now, I spend the majority of my time and Proudmouth spends the majority of their time on LinkedIn, but I have been doing more and more stuff on Twitter. And today we have who I would consider probably the most successful financial services professional who uses Twitter to grow his business. Thomas, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks, man. I I love the intro. That makes me feel really good. I mean, a year ago, I put my head down and that was my goal to to get there. I don't really know. It's hard to quantify or talk about who competition is, but like in my own mind, I just wanted to be the best I possibly could in that one channel. What I love about your Twitter is it's you have a very good blend between who you are as a human being and your financial services practice. How do you balance that stuff? Yeah, I think it's hard because um, I go back like two years ago when I first started on Twitter and I barely was using it, but I had an advisor reach out to me and tell me that I'm doing Twitter wrong. I'm talking too much about personal finance and Twitter's only for networking and you don't get clients from Twitter. And it really rubbed me in a bad like way. I was like, all right, unfollow me then. Like, I think what I'm doing is right. And I think there's, you know, a benefit to it. And I think it is true that people do want to get to know you. So like, I still talk like, or like, and retweet things about like Duke basketball and life and health and fitness and things that interest me. But like, my main goal is educating people. And I, I don't know how somebody can get mad when you're like, I'm not like work with me, work with me, work with me. I'm just like pure. How do I continually put important ideas into millennials minds, but keep it simple, right? Because a lot of what I see from financial advisors is market updates and acronyms and all of these things that go way over the average person's head. And all you do by doing that is you don't sound smart. You just push people away because you're not relatable. And when somebody thinks about, hey, I want to work with a financial advisor, I would guarantee one of the top qualities is I understand what they're talking about. And so like my biggest goal is, okay, what are the few concepts that are super, super, super important and how do I keep telling that story over and over and over in different words? I want to talk about the over and over and over. But before we get too far into this, because my concern is, is that advisors are going to listen to this and they're going to be like, oh, it's Twitter. I'm not going to deal with it. Let's do some numbers, brother. Let's talk about what has actually quantifiably happened, not only from a follower perspective, from a new client perspective and assets under management. Let's go there. And then I'm going to unpack what you just said. Okay. So last January, I decided to make the pivot from LinkedIn to Twitter. So I didn't give up on LinkedIn. All I did is make my focus Twitter and whatever does well on Twitter, I just copy and paste it to LinkedIn and maybe edit a little bit. But I started last year right around a thousand followers. And in 2021, I did like one 1.2 million in impressions the whole year. So 22 came along and I went from about a thousand to 
my goal was 7,500. I hit 7,500 on January 2nd. I did like 9 million impressions, which was significantly better. And I had about 70 prospects from Twitter. And when I started last year, my fees were 150 a month, 200 a month, 250 a month. I ended last year with my minimum being 450 a month, my minimum business owner being 600 a month. And that scales up to 1600 a month, depending on complexity and who that is. Um, and then the start of this year, things I think like really hit an inflection point. And I went from 7,500 to in the last 24 days, nine, almost 9,600. And my most ever month last year, which I was proud of is like 700 and I'll have done like 1700 in the last 24 hours. Um, a mix of the Kitsis article coming out another mix of like, I shared a story. So I basically said, here's my last three prospects. I had a client come in who she's selling part of her business this year. She'll make 37 million. She became a client in the first prospect meeting. I met with her for 30 minutes. And because she's followed me for so long on Twitter, she was like, Hey, I already know you. I already believe in what you do. I just wanted to see what this would look like. Um, another prospect who equity is valued at about 32 million in his startup. I had another client, 22 million become a client. And then another one, 9 million. That was in the last two months. Those are the prospects who are coming in the door. Most of them, you know, are 9,000 a year or above. All of them convert. Every single one of those converted in that meeting. I normally give people like a week or two to think about it. They're like, we don't need it. Like sign me up. And, you know, right now, like I had 10 new prospects in the last two days. Um, I had a couple more that I referred out because they didn't seem like they would be the right fit. No reason to do that first meeting and just send them that way. Um, but it's pretty crazy. Like it's awesome and overwhelming at the same time, because as the business grows this fast, you really have to make the decision. Are we really going to grow this? And am I going to scale? Cause I already know by the end of this year, I'll have three full-time people on my team, um, and deciding whether I build out teams and specialties and really funnel to there, or I don't want to. And the hard part is I love marketing. I got, I, I like, literally I wake up every day excited to go create and so it's like, do I want to move into that role? Do I want to just be the financial planner? And I have to be making these decisions really, really fast when growth is happening that fast. Thank you for quantifying that. Now I have to unpack everything that you said. So, so first off, one of the things that you have done, and one of the reasons I wanted you on the show is because of your whole idea of rinse, lather, and repeat, right? You take those three to five concepts that are core to who you are, and you constantly reinforce that message. Thomas, you know this, so many financial advisors are terrified that they're going to run out of content. You have solved that. Talk about it. Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of advisors want the quick solution. They want to pay somebody to do their marketing or they want to say like, hey, I'm going to hire you. You're going to be a ghostwriter. You're going to create all these things. And I just don't believe that's the way to do it. Like how I view marketing is people need to get to know me and then I'm an expert. As long as those two things are satisfied, when they hit X pain point in their life, hey, Thomas has been talking about equity comp. I just got a new job. I have equity Ooh, Thomas knows what he's talking about. That's exactly who I'm going to go to. Not that I'm convincing people through one post. I just want to stay in front of people and educate them. So I think understanding that funnel first is, is what's really important. And that's where like, you can't just post once or twice, right? So let's say, you know, even if I have 10,000 followers and 20% of people see each post, which is no way, and maybe 2% remember each post, like think about how little of people are actually consuming that. And so then let's say I post three times a week. 
And then let's say that's, I take a week off every two months because I'm busy. That means like, you know, maybe I'm getting five posts in front of somebody over like a six month period of time. They're not going to remember me and they're not going to try to work with me. And so I it's been ingrained in my mind for so long that content's a quality game and not a quantity game. And I don't know if that's true. Like I know the Morgan Housels of the world can post one time a month and it'd be so, so good and impactful that people will come for that. That's not true for the average person. And so what I've been doing for the last 12 months is how do I increase quantity and still have quality? Like I'm not putting out any garbage posts, but I'm also not like, man, I spent 30 minutes on that post. Like this, I, I just scheduled out two months of Twitter at the end of December in 30 minutes. I look through old content. I look through old, like I've written a blog post every single week for almost three years. That is a lot of content. I have a, 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 I have a podcast every single week. I have LinkedIn posts. I have Twitter posts. Like all of that is a bank of content where if you really wanted to, this is like, I'm now at the place where I could probably hire a ghostwriter to do it, but I don't really need to. Like it's, it's an energizing part of the business to me where like all I want to do is just those same concepts. Like I don't want to be like, I think when people hear that, they really mix it up. Like I see some advisors who every week they'll post the same exact post. And it's like, that's not the way to do it. Like it's it's the same concept. And maybe like every three months or six months, you have the same post, that's fine. But you can't just post the same post, you know, multiple times a week because then you're boring. And really at the end of the day, like content, you're fighting for attention. You got to get, you have to combine helpful and also grab attention at the same time for it to work. And we call that the perfect presentation or perfect podcast formula, storytelling, education, entertainment, call to action. If your posts have three out of those four, if not all four, which yours do, right? And you tell super short stories, right? You just, it's even could be one or two lines, but they're always enter, always entertaining and always educational. Now, I want to talk a little bit about this idea that you're getting to the point of being able to hire a ghostwriter. One of the things that we have found is the reason why we set up the the what we refer to as our managed influence system the way that we do is because you record a podcast, we hear your voice, we write in your voice, and then we put that after you approve it on social for you. We've streamlined some of that stuff. Now, here's the other thing that you said, and I really want to take time on this. You have a big decision to make, which is, are you going to be the marketer, the lead generator, the biz dev person for your firm, or are you going to be the financial planner? There are a lot of advisors out there who are going to say, well, Thomas, can't you do both? Shouldn't you do both? And I want you to explain how do you make that decision? I am a really big believer in, in do what you do best and also combine that with do what you enjoy. And like, if you look across our industry, there is a lot of really good financial planners, right? It's textbook knowledge. You can learn financial planning. Anybody who's at least a little bit interested can do some research, can study and learn it. But there's a reason why 80% fail, right? They can't grow the business. They can't market. And so that's in the back of my head all the time of like, if my skill set is the unique one, the one that most people can't do, am I kind of doing myself a disservice by not staying in my lane? But I go to the other side and I'm like, I feel like I'm really good talking to clients. Like I feel like my clients really like me. We have a really good relationship. I can explain things really well. So what I'm trying to figure out is can I merge the two, but outsource all of the background work? Like 
And and that's where I'm going. So I'm hiring somebody. He'll be full-time this year. He right now is a CPA, EA. He does all of like tax filing, tax planning for 10 million plus revenue businesses, which is a hard part to learn. But I've known him for about 15 years, one of the smartest people I know. And he is a research guy, like analysis guy. And that's exactly what drains me. And so I knew like, okay, why don't I find somebody who'd be amazing at that role? And for six months, the CFP I have on staff now is going to train him on the financial planning side. And with the amount of cases we have coming in, I mean, half the time, like new, you know, new RA owner, owners might have 24 clients in, in five years, right? I'll, there's no way I'll do less than that in 12 months. So he's going to get a lot of repetition and a lot of the basics exist for everybody, right? When do you do backdoor Ross? When do you go to taxable? When do you max out your 401k? How do we handle equity comp? Those things. And the nuances are research-based. So he's not going to learn that. We're going to have to research those type of things as we go on. And so what I'm going to try to figure out is like, he can handle the tax meeting. He can handle the business planning meeting. He can handle a lot of them. And I can handle more of the life-based stuff and then grow the business. And then maybe we build that out. We really, really figure it out well. And then I go, hey, I know this financial planner is amazing at working with people with equity comp. I know I can drive that business. I know I can drive those clients in. I just have to build a big enough book where I don't have to, I don't really want to grow through debt. I really don't. That's just not the way that I want to do it. So I would rather build up a bunch of revenue and accept that I'll take a hit on what I get paid for a certain period of time as more of an investment back into the business. But the key thing here that I've thought about is I'm never going to hire somebody who's 25 years old. I need to train them on that because they're going to be, they're going to do what I do. They're going to watch what I did. They're going to want to go external and do it on their own. I want to hire the person who said, I love the relationships. I hate everything else. And I just want to be an employee, get a fixed salary, not have to worry about anything and handle X number of clients and hire those type of people. And the, and you know the benefit of building a brand, right? Is when I went to hire that part-time CFP on my background, I had forty people ask me in one day for that role, and that was way before my following has grown now. So hiring becomes way easier because you're attracting people who really want to work with that brand. And that is the whole idea of being an influencer, right? And and that was kind of I want to switch gears a little bit about that because you have truly become an influencer. Now you are an influencer in two different categories, and you and I are very similar. So not only are you an influencer to your clients, but you're also an influencer to advisors. So we're in the exact same, both of mine are advisors or people who provide services to advisors. And so I want to talk a little bit about this influence, but I want to put a pin in that because I have to address something that you said earlier, and I'd feel negligent if I didn't have you tease this out a little bit more. You said that you get X amount of leads from Twitter. How does that happen? What is the process from Twitter to close? Can you tell us what that is in a little bit of time? Yeah. So that's actually funny. I was kind of talking about this today on Twitter. So I, I get so many advisors asking me like, Hey, does this DM look good? Like, how do you do DMs? And I do none. I, I don't spend a single second messaging any single person on Twitter trying to convert them to be a client. So my funnel and how I understand it is people see me over and over and over and over and over again. They finally hit a reason they need a financial planner. They click my profile and I have a, it's called card.co versus Linktree. Only reason I did that is because some kid was like, if I build this for you, will you use it? And then like, if anybody asks you about it, share me. I was like, sure, man. Like that seems like a good deal. So he did that. So people go, they book a meeting or they go to our website 
they check our prices and then they still directly book a meeting there. So 99% of people come in the door. I've never even seen their name anywhere before. And then we have a questionnaire, but now we just hit a new pain point where too many prospects. And like, if I get, you know, 20 prospects in a month, that's seven hours of time in prospect meetings that I can vet them earlier. So today I just dropped Trayton, my business partner does website design, all that stuff. He dropped a new landing page on our website that just pulls that questionnaire that drops an email to me. And then I can qualify them and then put them on the calendar if it makes sense, which I think satisfies a lot of things. One, it saves time and two, an application process in, in your own head is like, I have to apply to be a part of this. Like I would be lucky to be in it. That is another sales point. Yeah. It's called the principle of exclusivity. And Dr. Robert Cialdini talks a lot about that. So now let's go back to your idea of being an influencer. And the ultimate thing for us is moving people along what we refer to as the influence continuum, moving people from skeptics to fans. You have fans. They come in ready to buy, right? That is the most amazing gift that you can give yourself uh, as a business owner, as a person who sells their expertise for a living, which is what you do. Um, when did you feel that happen? Like, what, what was there like an inflection point where you were like, oh my God, these people are coming in. And like the, the one lady that you referred to, who's like, I'm ready to go within a 30 minute call. That's, you know, my friend, that's not normal. Right. Uh, and everybody wishes that would happen. When did you see that inflection point? We call that, um, the escape velocity, right? When you, when you actually, stop being pulled back to mediocre marketing. You've, you've achieved escape velocity. You're on the path to becoming a celebrity and, uh, you know, really working with fans. When did you see that inflection point? Yeah, it's interesting. I thought I hit that on LinkedIn, like, you know, a year and a half ago. Cause I was like, man, nobody, nobody's getting prospects from like, I'm talking to people, they get some, like I'm starting to get, you know, like seven to 10. Like I felt really good in 2021, like of what I was doing, but then it was like, Okay, I look then my average client coming in was, you know, making $100,000, maybe $150,000, blah, blah. And then this year I get more prospects with the average person making well above half a million in their 30s. So like, I think there's always the feeling like, ooh, this is better than what I thought. And this is better than what I'm hearing. But like the last quarter of last year is where I feel like I really started to feel good about like, man, like we're doing really, really well here. I mean, I launched all street. I brought over 30 clients. That was 4,000 a month in revenue. So that was a good feeling, right? Like that's, that's not a good, you know, per client revenue, but like it was just starting out and I was like, that's better. They're pretty low maintenance. And then in that first 14 months of growing, you know, I, like my last month ended at 18,000 in revenue. Um, and now we're just continuing to grow beyond that. So I, I, it's hard to say, I guess. Well, okay, but you did some stuff. So, so let's let's unpack that a little bit more, right? It was 14 months, right? It, from, from point A to point B. And along that 14 months, what a lot of people don't remember is that before that, you were blogging all the time. Like you have had a social media presence for a long time. And the difference for you, and we, we talk a lot about this, not only in our show, but in our academy, is the consistency. You have been consistent with this good messaging, consistent messaging, consistent education, consistent personality over a fixed period of time, roughly anywhere from 14 to 24 months, which is really the sweet spot that we found. And Thomas, then you freaking, right? You blast it off, dude. Um, and that's, that's just amazing. But I mean, I, I totally agree. And that's the thing I keep telling advisors is everybody's like, you know, oh, one in a thousand advisors get clients from social media. It's whatever. It's like, again, if you post 25 times a year, every time you get busy, you stop. 
and you do it for six months, like you're definitely not going to get anything out of it. And so then everybody like sits here and they argue and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you don't build anything with minimal effort and minimal time. And so then like, if your solution is, oh, I'll pay somebody else to do it. Like I, what I try to tell people is like, what, what could you outsource in your business that would help you grow it? Like they always think that that's the outsourcing point, but they're doing client emails and client scheduling and entering notes into their CRM and X, Y, and Z things. And like, those are time sucks that you could hire out for $20 an hour. And like, if I, if I really went back and quantified, like I, I would say on average, I spend five hours a week creating. And, and that's, that's quite a bit, but that's not as much as what most people I think would guess with how much content I put out there. And if on average, I bring in two new clients a month, averaging, you know, 600 bucks a month, then that's 1200 in one month. That's, you know, in the, you go to the year, that's like 15,000 by spending 20 hours that month. If, if you would spend 20 hours to generate $15,000 of revenue in one year, let alone if they stay with me for 10 years, you can't tell me that's a bad return on investment. It, it, yeah, it, it, ab absolutely. We we quantify, you know, our, so we have two levels of service. We got do it yourself and then kind of done with you service. And our done with you, one of the things that we asked during the, the our sales and, and discovery process is how many new clients do you have to get to pay for this? And I was just talking to a young lady today. Uh, they run the uh, a Widow podcast uh, in out of New York City. And um, she needs 0.5 clients. <laughs> to pay for everything, right? And so do you, right? If you out, were able to outsource some of this stuff, I mean, do the numbers that you just outlined there and in that level of quantification, I actually think is a little bit dangerous uh, because I think that sets unrealistic expectations because the value, there's more value than you just bringing in new business. This is also an amazing client communication, client retention, client education, relationship building tool. They hear from Thomas as much as they want. And here's my favorite thing. So you do post frequently on Twitter and some people would say, well, I don't have time to do that. But here's the thing. If they don't want to see your post, what do they do, Thomas, if they don't want to read your post? Unfollow. Or even easier, well, that would, maybe if you piss them off, they just swipe by. Oh yeah. They just move past you, right? But if you're not there, so we we call it the, the new influencers are the new F word in financial services, right? And the biggest issue is, if you're not there, here's the deal. People who are listening to this right now, if you're looking at trying to, you know, have the same sort of target market that Thomas is going after right now, a very, you know, uh, business owning uh, millennials pay, potentially have a capital event or opportunity for equity, right? That sort of uh, target market. If you're not on Twitter, he is, <laughs> he's going to get the business, right? So, and my favorite part, Thomas, is there's all of these unlicensed, unregulated people who are on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, TikTok, who are talking in your client's ears. And guess what? If you're not talking louder than they are with the same level of personality that you're putting, Thomas is putting out, they're going to get heard over you. And that's where the problems begin. Yeah. I would also say one, one thing that I've really learned as of late, and I don't know when this started with financial advisors, but like I think there's a lot of financial advisors who use social to not create their own content, but then argue financial strategies on other people's content. So like, like, let's say I post that, like, you know, something about how I dislike permanent life insurance. And then people will just come in and they will just attack you. And I one I promise you, if your strategy is to piggyback off other people's content, argue with them, 
nobody's going to want to work with you. Like they're like, think about if you went into a room and you went to meet a bunch of new people and there's that one guy who's arguing with everybody else trying to show, show them up. You're like, that dude sucks. Like who wants to talk to him? Right. Like that, that is not the way, like some people talk about like piggyback off other people's content. So like, you know, maybe you see some big person post something and you add a valuable part to it. And even if you disagree, you can disagree in a smart way would be like, Hey, this is a really good post. Here's one thing to think about versus like, are you kidding me? Like, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. Like anybody who would think that is wrong. Everybody's like, dude, that guy just needs to relax. All right. You also do a podcast. So let's take just a little bit uh, to talk about your show. Let's talk about the format of the show, the frequency of your show and uh, how you use the show. So why don't you uh, take it away there? Yeah, I am. So I started the podcast because I thought I hated writing and I really liked talking. And because like my whole life, I've always said I'm a horrible writer. Right. And like, that is just because I didn't get the reps. Like if you put in the reps, like if I'm writing as much as I am, like now I put out a blog post in like 20 minutes. Like the other day I had a thread from a blog post that I was like, the the topic I had for this week seemed too long. I was like, I'll get this done in, you know, 20 minutes. And it had like 70,000 impressions on Twitter. And it's just because like you build the skill and you build the confidence and you don't have to reread things 10 times. But podcast, what really the goal was like, longer form content. Like I wanted one place to do longer form content. I wanted to bring on other people, but I also understood that like the podcast is the hardest to build, but my most devoted fans will be there. Um, I think a lot of financial advisors go there to learn too, which is really good. But like, I, the thing is, is that I need to soon hire somebody to do like video editing and promotion because like mo half the weeks I don't, I just post about it. And then when I have the time, I'll, I'll cut one video from it. So I post one time a week about it. Um, and I've done, I think maybe 70 episodes. I almost have 10,000, 10,000 plays. Um, like average is 160 an episode audience size. The last seven days is 190. And so like, I'm just like, I might as well keep it going. Right. I think that the podcast inflection point is a little bit longer, but you know, a lot of people I talk to, I mean, if this is not even year two of really focusing on this, and we're almost at 10,000 plays, like, and if I went from 2000 followers to 10,000, like those are just more people to funnel that way. And I think you can learn to like somebody and learn from their content, but hearing them talk for 40 minutes, you really are going to get to know me. And what I really try to be is the exact same in every situation. So when a client comes in and talks to the door, I'm still wearing this hoodie. I'm still talking to them in normal voice. I'm not going to be like, you know, shameful. I'm not going to, you know, try to make things too complex. And so when they come into that first meeting, they're like, man, I feel like I know this guy. Like think about like any podcast you listen to, like if you listen to Joe Rogan, whatever, you actually feel like you're his friend. There's no denying that you feel like you've talked to him before. That is such a trust builder. Well, one of the other things that, that I'm sure our listeners have heard over and over again is Thomas has achieved unapologetically being himself and giving himself that gift because that is so powerful. The last thing in the world that we want is for somebody to listen to your podcast. It's not consistent or congruent with the voice that you have on Twitter. And then they come in and you're this, you know, stuffy person wearing a three piece suit and cufflinks. That's not who you are. Allowing yourself to have that freedom to be yourself across all platforms that is how you truly create a fan base and generate more and more people. Now, I also want to talk about, you just said something there that I love and I have to highlight, um, which is you feel like you know Joe Rogan. Conference season is starting up, right? You and I have already kind of talked a little bit about potentially where you're going and what conferences you're attending. 
And, and so I do a lot of conferences. It's a big part of what I do here at Proudmouth. And people come up to me all the time. And that's what they say. It's so nice to meet you. I feel like I know you already. I don't know these people from Adam, right? Uh, but because they've been consuming our content. The other thing that I want to talk about is the numbers. Because everybody has terribly unrealistic uh, expectations of how many people will listen to their show. 190, right, is what you just said. Here's the, Yeah. We just had a client who just hit what we refer to as escape velocity. So you've hit escape velocity on Twitter, right? And you will hit escape velocity on your podcast. She's been doing it with us for about three years, and she's probably about roughly the same episode. She might have gone over 100, but between 75 and 100 episodes. She went from 400 downloads a show to 4,000. Because what ends up happening is the more deposits that you, Thomas, put into the podcasting pool of karmic wonderfulness, it just continues to start to grow. And then you're going to hit this point where not only do they listen to your last episode, but they're going to want to go back and listen to your entire catalog. Um, we know that that works. And because you have all of these other social media components, you're going to be hitting that sooner rather than later. Yeah. And, and I guess the one point that I don't think is talked about too, is I use my podcast to learn. So like if, if I don't, honestly, every client says Twitter. And so like, it could be easy to say stick in one lane, but I also think you kind of like, I don't think you want to go too wide and where you're casting your net, where you're like lose focus in the main channel. But I also do think you want multiple areas. And I also think podcasts, long form content, like people love to listen to things. The more you work from home, the more time you have to, you know, listen to a podcast while you do things. But also like, I like, you know, recently I'll hit a client and I'll be like, man, I, I kind of need to learn about X. This person should come on my podcast and talk about it. And then I can learn it. And then on top of it, the other episodes are me getting more reps at being better at explaining con just any concept. And so like now my, my writing is getting better. My speaking is getting better. My knowledge base is getting better. And like all content really, even if you don't get clients from it is making you more knowledgeable, like to put out as much content as I do, you, you have to be learning nonstop. And you're also taking your clients on that or in prospects on that learning journey and people love to watch you grow and they love to grow with you. All right. So Thomas, my favorite question to ask is what should I have asked you that I didn't? Um, I think the one thing that we really haven't talked about, which was like what my kids, this article was about is really how to repurpose and schedule out content. And so um, Bring it I think that one of the best things I ever did, and, and so, so many people are like, don't schedule Twitter because you need to be real time, right? But just because you schedule Twitter doesn't mean you can't add more posts throughout the day. And so my thought is if I'm going to get busy and I'm going to forget to post, why am I not scheduling it out? Why don't I go to all the old content I have? use it as ideas. And I use a software called Hype Fury, which like I can look at my top posts and rewrite them. I can look at inspiration from other people and write them. But like I've been scheduling out three posts every single day. And then I know that most days I'll probably post three to five more times as I think about things. But that way there's no option but to be in front of people. And because the, like, I really believe it, it compounds, right? So if I take that week off then I go back for two weeks and I take a couple of days off and I go back, like you kind of like are restarting from a lower point, trying to get back up and re like, and I don't think that's really a, the best way to do it. So I think repurposing and scheduling, but again, repurposing, I think is huge. Like if I've written a blog post every week for three years, but I never go talk about that old one again, like I'm just wasting time because 
I'll go back and I'll be like, here's three good tweets from this. And I'll go to the, you know, podcast. And soon I'll have somebody go back through all my podcasts and cut up clips. And then I'll have more video to go out and things like that. But I really think scheduling and repurposing. And I, and I think the other thing that when I started working with Justin Costelli, he gave me a lot, like, he really was known as content King. Like he had those shirts for a long time and he's deviated a little bit from the financial planning stuff, but he's like, here's the rules I want you to follow. I want you to start with one thing and expand. Um, I want, and basically like to just never stop, right? Like never make the excuse. And so ever since I started, like, it's not an option to not do it. it it's just never been, it's never been like, no, I don't want to do a blog post this week. It's like, actually, I have a whole list of quick blog posts of like, Hey, this is a busy week. Here are 20 options I could write in 10 minutes. And then my longer form ones are, you know, some, Hey, I got this week's not that busy. Like let's dive into this and do some research here. Um, and, and I really think like, giving yourself no ability to have an excuse is probably the best superpower that you can have. Well, listen, brother, I, 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 first off, I love following you on Twitter. I don't actually pay attention to a lot of stuff on Twitter just because there's so much flipping noise, but I love how you post when you post and what you post. You probably have noticed I've actually, well, you probably don't cause you're busy, but I've actually liked a whole bunch of the stuff that you've been posting recently. Um, we're going to make sure that we have a link to that Kitsis article in our show notes. Uh, if anybody wants to follow you on Twitter, how can they do that? Yeah, my profile is just at T Copelman. So definitely the best place to follow. And um, I try to post every so often. I have I do uh, office hours for advisors about once a month. So I have a newsletter for that where I don't send anything other than, hey, here's the Zoom link and here's when the time is. Um, but I think, you know, I'd love to help more advisors, but, you know, with 20 to 30 advisors a week reaching out, you can't say yes to two and no to 28. And so I've also learned that office hours are a better space than a one-on-one. -on -one. Like, yes, we can get to know each other better, but like one person's question is everybody else's question. And then, you know, some other people who are far along join and they can help give answers. And I feel like that's a really, really good space and it's totally free. That's absolutely fantastic. Hey, brother. I, listen, thank you very much. I know that I'm going to be seeing you at a couple of conferences this year. I know our paths will cross again. Thank you very much for everything that you're doing for advisors by giving back. But most importantly, taking time today to proverbial slap the uh, other financial services professionals around and have them realize that Twitter is an absolutely viable marketing tool. It's wicked, wicked powerful. You've got the proof. You've got the numbers, you've got the assets, you've got the actual revenue that are, are showing that this is a viable option. So I want to appreciate, uh, I want to show you appreciation. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks, man. I really appreciate you having me on and looking forward to seeing you at some conferences this year. All right, everybody, listen. Uh, so if you want to take advantage of Thomas's uh, office hours, we're going to make sure that uh, you can sign up for those in our show notes. Now, we also have office hours in our academy because we and, and Thomas are we're philosophically aligned. We know that we can help more people if we do it in, in a group setting. Now, we do eight hours of office hours a month in our Pod Rocket Academy. We'd love for you to be able to join. If you want to know more about that, please just message us. Uh, in We're everywhere. You all know where we are. Uh, and with that... Um, if you're going to conferences this year and you want to maybe find out who else is going, we're talking a little bit about trying to find a way to do that. If you're going to a conference or want to know where I'm going, and I'm sure if you want to know where Thomas is going, please go ahead and message us. We'll be more than happy to share where we're going to be this year because we'd love to be able to see all of you so that we can just, I don't know, maybe spend a little bit of one-on-one -on -one time and at least say hi. So for Thomas and all of us here at Proudmouth, this is Matt Halloran, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thanks for listening to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. If you want to know more about how you can be your own loud, visit us at proudmouth.com and sign up for the Pod Rocket Academy. 
through courses and office hours led by professional podcast producers and digital marketers, you will learn everything you need to know to become the trusted subject matter expert you were meant to be.